0: It is a privilege to be here, it's 10 years ago, it took a long time for me to be invited again, <laughs> but I'm delighted to be here and I want to say that I thoroughly, we Debbie also thoroughly enjoyed the time of worship, um, they were all singable songs. Sometimes we come into churches, and I do a lot of preaching lately in Holland, and we come into some churches where we also sing among some of these songs, but at a different pace and so forth. We also sing psalms in the old style that most of you wouldn't even know. They call them, you sing them on whole notes. So uh, people come from very staunch Reformed backgrounds, And uh, it's amazing, God has opened doors, invited us into those circles, and um, so this morning was a fresh of breath air, Uh, a fresh of, (laughs) a breath of fresh air. I just wanted to see if you were awake. (laughs) Uh, The only complaint, and I don't know if I must go to the elders or just bring it before the church, but while I'm busy here, is that... uh, Mikey, you mustn't look so joyful. (laughs) It's disturbing. (laughs) And I noticed that your playing even affected Mervyn next to you because he put on headphones so he couldn't (laughs) hear it. (laughs) But it was delightful, delightful. I wanted to say, Tula, Tula, but... uh, And then I heard uh, uh, Janice doing something on anxiety. I want to know if there's anybody here that knows about dealing with hurt. So if you would come to me afterwards. Because Nick mentioned that I'm one of three siblings. And my parents always said to me that I'm their favorite son. And they always said to me that I'm the handsome one. And so my siblings have... Always struggled with with that, and so if somebody can help them deal with that pain, okay. Now to get to the lighter stuff, I want to go to One King Seventeen. We've certainly enjoyed the past few days here; It's really been delightful. We were with we came into the prayer meeting. And it was wonderful just to see a group of people passionately praying and all the things that you prayed for, the things that you're busy with, the opportunities that God has given you, giving you, and uh, doors of opportunity. Uh, We've been very encouraged. I had the privilege of sharing there and sharing on Friday night. And uh, it is a privilege, it is an honor to be able to share, being asked to share. I realize the responsibility as well, but we have been encouraged, greatly encouraged ourselves, just by being with you. On Friday night with the eldership, it seems, by looking at the elders and just chatting to some of them, it seems that this is a church that has no problems. Um, That this church only has wonderful people. And so we are envious. But (laughs) I'm very encouraged because I say that because the elders just looked happy and joyful in being able to do what they are doing in being your shepherds and leading you. And I'm joking, of course. There are always challenges. But uh, we have really been encouraged. And uh, thank you for allowing us to visit you wonderful people. This is the story about Elijah. Elijah. And uh, the setting is such that Ahab was king of Israel at that time, and Israel was the northern ten tribes, and he was the king. But he was a very wicked king. He did evil, the Bible tells us, in the eyes of the Lord. Ahab had permitted his domineering wife Jezebel to bring the worship of Baal into Israel. And so he was leading the nation into worshiping not God, but Baal, he built a temple, he built an altar to Baal. And then we read in chapter 17, verse 1, a man who suddenly just appears on the scene. There's nothing told of us uh, told us of him, who he was, where he comes from. Just says Elijah, and his name means Yahweh is my God, the Lord. He is my God. And so we pick up in verse one. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab as the Lord the God of Israel the God of the nation of whom you are the king whom I serve as he lives I will there will be neither dew nor rain in the next years except at my word It's a very bold statement to make especially when you don't know where this man comes from. And he comes to the king and he says, I want you to know, I serve the God whom you are trying to wipe out of the nation. And in his name I declare that there will be neither rain nor dew in the next years, except when I say so. Elijah must have heard the Lord, because otherwise you don't say something like that. And so he's so confident in the power of the Holy Spirit, he comes there and he proclaims what God says to him to do. Now, I'm not suggesting that we do this type of thing, except when we really do know it's the Lord. But he, he declares this. And I can imagine that he, he did it with boldness. He, did it, he was a courageous man doing so. But I can imagine also that the knees were shaking when he thinks about it, having delivered it. Verse 2, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and God says to him, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Cherith, or Cherith, Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food. So he does what God tells him to do, and then God says, Now run away and hide. Because, I told you, Ahab was a wicked king. And Jezebel, his wife, was even wickeder, more wicked. And now God says to him to go to an inhospitable area and go into hiding. But there God says, I will protect you. And obviously, one of the most important things to be protected from, dangers is Ahab. And during this time of seclusion at the brook Kereth, God will make provision for Elijah's needs, his physical needs, his emotional needs, his spiritual needs. God will look after him there at this brook. And whenever I read these Bible stories, and I love the Old Testament with the stories, I try to identify and think what would I have done, what would I have said, how would I have reacted. And so in this case, I think God gives a strange message. Go and tell the king this. So I do it, Lord, it takes me weeks of prayer, and, and I do it, and now you tell me to run away. You emphasize the fact that this man is dangerous by telling me to go into hiding. But we see Elijah not arguing with God, not trying to reason with God saying, God, this is quite an unusual instruction you're giving me. Looking in his Bible to see if anybody else had such a strange thing to do. I would have said, Lord, but you're the one who said that ravens are unclean birds, and now you're saying they're going to bring my food. I don't understand. Well, Every story I read in the Bible, I don't understand. Because God's ways are far higher than my ways. And his thoughts far higher than my thoughts. And when God told us, spoke, started speaking to me in 92 about going to Ireland, it was very strange. Didn't fit the pattern. I was critical of people leaving South Africa. Verse 5, so Elijah did what the Lord had told him. And he went to Cherith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. He lived there. God didn't say go for a day. God didn't say go for three weeks because in the meantime, Ahab is going to die. God just said go. I would have said how long and all that type of thing and where must I sleep and have you provided bedding? And No, he just went and he stayed there because God says go. And so Elijah had this attitude of, I'm going, and then I'll wait for the following instruction. Just as we went to Holland, not knowing what we were going to do. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. It's a good thing that Elijah was not a vegetarian. But in this we see the supernatural and the natural working alongside one another. He drank water from the brook, which was natural. But it wasn't a natural thing, that was supernatural, that ravens came every morning and every evening to bring his bread and meat. They weren't the providers of the food, that was God. They were Uber Eats <laughs> delivering his food. Because if they were the providers of the food, it wouldn't be nice stuff to eat. And then we see verse 7, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. The Bible doesn't tell us if it was a slow process and that he could see it happening, or if it was just suddenly he woke up in the morning and the brook was dry. With God, both are possible. We don't know. But there's a sense in which I think, well, Elijah, you could have known. You could have prepared for it because you're the one who went to the king and told him there's not going to be any rain and no dew. So if you've you know, been to school, you'll know that there is a time coming when there will be no more water in the brook. But again, sitting and thinking what it must have been like, I would have said something like, God, have you forgotten about me. How can this be, Lord? Because you sent me here and you're the God who has my best interest at heart and you said that you would care and you send me here and now the brook is dry. Have I missed something, Lord? Did I go to the wrong brook? Have I overlooked something? Have I neglected something? And I wonder who can say this morning that you've never been at a brook that has run dry. And I'm not talking about a physical brook. And I'm not talking about a brook like this either. (laughs) But a brook in your life always had enough money, never been an issue. And suddenly it's difficult to make ends meet always been healthy and strong, and then the body starts playing up. Unexpectedly discharged from your job or you've got your own booming business, you've been doing it for the last so many years, the same thing, and every time doing the same thing has resulted in blessing, and suddenly things begin to change and go pear-shaped. Your marriage, your relationship. The death of a loved one. The brook dries up. The divorce. Happily married, you didn't see it coming, and suddenly he or she, depending on which one in the fem- marriage, says, I'm leaving. The brook dries up. Well, you did what God told you to do. You started that thing that God said you must do. You've said what God said you must do. You went to the king and you declared that there would be no rain. You went to the brook and God said he would provide and now the brook is dry. Every one of us can say, we've somewhere in our lives been at a brook that has dried up. We faithfully have done what we knew we had to do. Struggle, struggle, struggle. We've seen this a lot in Holland with those people out of those backgrounds. Struggle, struggle, struggle to make the decision eventually to get baptized. And then they baptize, saying, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And then they hit the wall. The brook dries up. Debbie and I, I'm not saying this to boast, but Debbie and I have been faithful tithers all our lives. But we've had situations in our lives where suddenly we realized if we stopped tithing, we would make ends meet. But we couldn't understand why, Lord, we have faithfully always been generous. And now the brook seems to be drying up. What I realized is God did not promise us that the brooks in our lives will never dry up. What he did promise us that he will always take care of us and provide. And we need to learn to look not at the brook, but at the Provider, who uses a brook in a season of our lives, that brook, and uses ravens as in a season of our lives. Elijah was not wrong. He hadn't sinned when he got to that brook. He went where God told him to do, and yet the brook dried up. And so in our lives, there are things. We do them because we know God wants us to do them. We do them according to the word and so forth. And yet at times we come to places where that brook dries up. It's not because of sin or things in our lives necessarily. But sometimes it can be that we've made wrong decisions. It's not sinful, but we've made wrong decisions. Not an evil decision, but wrong choices. Perhaps we've been not listening for the warning signs. Perhaps we stayed at that brook longer than we should have. Perhaps we we, we we filled things in ourselves and started doing things at the brook that God hadn't said. Because we're human. Because sometimes we do struggle to hear what God... Sometimes it comes because we don't listen to the advice of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Sometimes it's because we... We think we know it and we interpret it according to our own decisions. And yet, and then at the same time, that's not necessary because of sin. It's just we made bad decisions. As a, as a pastor over many years, we've, I've dealt with people that have come and said, and then you look back and, and it wasn't sin, but some bad decisions. And it's not irredeemable. So I want to say, if this morning something, and you say, I've done what God, I've been faithful, and I don't understand it, then you bring it to the Lord, and you say, Lord, I don't, please help me to show show me the next brook. But if in this, you, you hear, you come to the conclusion, realizing that, yeah, part of the way I went the left path instead of the right path. Wrong choice. So what do we do? Say, Lord, sorry. I repent. Lord, you're the redeemer. You're the restorer. You don't hold it against us forever and ever. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to help me. And ask somebody then to help you to come back onto the straight and narrow, as it were. So I don't want to bring condemnation on you. I want to show you that through our Lord Jesus Christ, there is always hope, a living hope. So we need to ask those questions. Lord, show me. What is the, why is the brook drying up? I'm sure he asked all these questions. Then the ver, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. And the Lord said to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. Again, he's got to go there and he's got to stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Zarephath lay about 160 kilometers northeast of where Elijah was now. It was the heartland of Baal worship. And the drought had also affected that place. So in my logical thinking, it doesn't make sense that God says, go to the area where Baal is worshipped. And it is a drought. There's a drought there. There's famine there. And there's a widow. And I've instructed her to take care of you. A widow. Anybody knew that most times in those days, widows were poor. But maybe then I think, okay, in this it is an exception because God is sending me to a widow whose husband was rich. (laughs) Because how can a poor widow take care of me in a land that is also experiencing drought and famine. Zarephath, the name Zarephath comes from the Hebrew word which means to melt, to smelt, to refine, to purify. So God is now sending Elijah to a place that's going to serve as a crucible for Elijah. See, being at the brook, and theologians say it was for a year that he was there. Being there for a year, every day in the same pattern, isolated. It wasn't a town. It wasn't a city. It was. God was training him. God was building his faith. And now God was sending him to a crucible to test that faith and to prepare him for an even greater ministry. Because if we know the story of Elijah, eventually God used him in a mighty way to show who the living God really is. So Elijah doesn't come up with all kinds of excuses, thinking of why I shouldn't go, Lord, you can't be serious. You're thinking of of sending me to that area where Baal is worshipped and and a widow? Sending me to enemy territory because, Lord, have you forgotten that Ahab is married to that Wicked Jezebel? Did you say that you've told a widow to take care of me? No, he doesn't argue. I'm sure he thought these things. I'm sure he wrestled. I'm sure he said, Lord, will you please confirm it? Maybe he even was being alone for a year saying, Ravens, help me. don't know, but... (laughs) No, he trusts God. He knows exactly, he trusts the God who knows exactly what his servant needs. And so, in, in obedience, Elijah goes off to Zarephath, where God will test him, where God will refine him, where God will purify him, where God will strengthen him. Verse 10 So he went to Zarephath, when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. Again, I use my imagination, and he sees this widow, probably she, she was noticeable as a widow, and I would have thought to myself, Lord, is that the widow? Can't be. Lord, if it is the widow, just confirm it. I don't know how it went, but the second part of verse 10 says, he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in the jar so I may have a drink? It's quite a thing to ask a woman that you can see as a widow and it's a drought and famine in the land and you ask this woman. He was thirsty, 160 kilometer journey. He was hungry, but he asked this woman in faith. And as she was going to get it, he called, and bring me please a piece of bread. You could say cheeky. And her reply, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Oh, Lord, I asked the wrong woman. Sometimes in our lives we have that. We do what God says and we take the step and we think that's where it's going to come from. And then we hear that person says no. But God. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and I still have a son that I have to care for. And then we will eat it and we'll die. And you're asking me, have you got no sympathy, empathy? Don't you understand? It's difficult enough. And so the desperate woman tells Elijah about her hopeless situation, hopeless it was. Her pantry is empty. She and her son are almost starving to death. How would you react if you heard that when you asked for help? We'd feel bad, wouldn't we? But Elijah does not panic when he hears this. He doesn't apologize for his unusual request. I would have said, sorry ma'am, wrong person. May God bless you. Can I help you look for some food? He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I asked you the wrong question. I shouldn't have asked you. He doesn't shrink back and say, don't worry, I'll go elsewhere. No, Elijah has experienced God's faithfulness. He's experienced God's provision. Ravens, water, every single day, not once did they skip. And he's experienced God's goodness in providing and protecting him. So he doesn't focus on the impossible. He doesn't look at the problem only. Doesn't ignore it, it's real. But he focuses on the God with whom all things are possible. And confidently he says to her in verse 13, Don't be afraid, lady, don't worry. Again, I can imagine that he's doing this with all kinds of emotions. He's stepping out in faith. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. Boldness in the Lord. Stepping out in faith. Having definitely heard the Lord. I can imagine the reaction of this lady, shocked. Astonished, flabbergasted. What a strange thing to do. And to think that my jar of flour will not run dry? Or my, and my, the oil will not run out? You can't be serious, Elijah. You're right, ma'am. <laughs> it was a strange thing to say, but I just don't know where it came from. must be God. Verse 15, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. See, it was the word of the Lord, but Elijah, in this case, was the instrument. Not the raven, but Elijah. And I'm sure that this widow was never the same again. She'd seen God at work. And so every time there was a problem in her life, I'm sure she looked back to this occasion. As we remind each other to look back at things in our lives where this has happened. It's not so that the jar or whatever, but in other ways, God has been faithful. And what we do when we have a problem is we focus so on the problem that we forget his faithfulness, we forget his provision, we forget his protection, instead of then standing up and saying, Lord, do it again. And it will never be the same way he does it. And so God proves that he's a faithful provider. As Paul writes to the Philippians, uh, the Philippine church, my God will supply all needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. When we are faithful, God is faithful. When we go where God sends, he will provide. Sometime later, verse 17, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing, which means he died. And she said to Elijah, What do you have against me, the man of God man of God, what do you have against me? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? The bereaved mother blames God and blames Elijah now for the tragedy in her life. Even Christians experience tragedies in their lives. Poor Elijah, he's now misunderstood. She thinks that Elijah was praying and reminding God of her sin in her life. And now God has provided her. It's a natural reaction. We want to blame others for the things that go wrong in our lives. We even blame God. I think that I have a realistic view of God And yet when things go wrong in my life, I have the tendency to think, oh dear, what did I do wrong? Where did I fail? Have I sinned? Have I been disobedient? Somewhere we all have that type of legalism that creeps up. We arrived here on Thursday night, and as of Thursday night until this morning, 6 o'clock, there was no water in the house where we're staying, and we're staying with Nick and Cutty. The brook dried up and I asked I asked the Lord, is it because of sin? I said, show me Lord. Show me. And the Lord clearly said to me it wasn't sin in my life. So we still have a day, twenty four hours or so, to find out whose sin caused the water. To dry up. But fortunately we did have a lot of deodorant with us so you don't smell that we are dirty. (laughs) I know that we, most of us will think that. But we need to remember that Jesus died and paid the price for my sin. And bad choices and sin eventually even in my life can cause, have nasty consequences but I don't have to live under that condemnation because if I confess, confess my sin, acknowledge it, say, Lord, I blew it. I missed it, Lord. Lord, I was disobedient. I did do the wrong thing. Confess it to the Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive me all my, and cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. And then I can get up and walk and do the next step. I don't have to live there under condemnation. So once again, if it happens, we bring it to the Lord. And he doesn't hold it against us. And so I don't believe that this was a matter of sin, that Elijah had is just like that that layman, and they came to Jesus. Has he sinned or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. Things happen, not because of sin. Yes, sin in the world because we live in a fallen world, but not because someone has sinned and now God is punishing this way. That's not my father. And so as the woman stands there with tears streaming down her face, Elijah knows that mere words will not comfort this mother who's lost her son. He doesn't argue with her. He doesn't tell her now the things that I've done. There's not sin in your life and you don't have to worry. Or let's look if there is possibly a sin. At that moment, that's not the wise thing to do. Sometimes we need to just zip our up lip and put her shoulder or her her arm around her shoulder he doesn't correct her or rebuke her for thinking that God has punished her why are you blaming me lady no through personal experience he knows that God is a God of amazing miracles and he's standing there thinking now Lord what are you saying to me now how must I handle this situation And he knows God, and he knows the goodness of God. I love that song about the goodness of God. And he knows that his relationship with that God has grown through what he's learned. And even in this crucible that he finds himself, this is one of the big tests in his life. He's getting the blame for the son that died. He says, but Lord, you are faithful. And Lord, you have an answer. And so he takes a step of faith and he simply asks this lady to give her burden to him. I'll pray for you, lady. I'll do what I can. Give me your problem. Verse 19, give me your son, Elijah replied. He took the boy from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God. Have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? So even he thinks, it's, Lord, why have you done this? He's a human, a man just like us. Then he stretched himself on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, "Look, your son is alive. What wonderful news to be! What what a wonderful bearer of news it is to be that person. Look what God has done. Look how God is providing for you. Rejoicing in that. The victory of the resurrection." In our lives through Jesus Christ. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know. I've seen, I've heard, you've spoken about things. Because I'm sure they spoke often. But now it's not your God. Now I know. That you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. Now I know. And so there are many of you sitting here that somewhat along the line, you were maybe a widow, you had a situation, you observed from a distance, you heard from your friend or your husband or your neighbor, but there came a moment that the revelation came to you, and you knew Jesus is not somebody that died on a cross 2,000 years ago for the world. No, Jesus, he died for me. Now I know. That moment of revelation, that moment of, of truth that breaks into our life. And so now certainly I think this woman was never the same again. In this case, her son was raised from the dead. That's not how it goes every day in our lives. But this God is the same and he's just as faithful to help us through that process. And to come also in that tragedy to the moment where the son is not raised from the dead. But we say now I know. He loves me. He cares for me. He'll help me through this tragedy. And so in closing I've got a few points to say. Live close to God in a relationship through Jesus Christ in your walk. Jesus came to show us the Father, to bring us into a relationship with God as a Father. Not as judge only. Yes, he is. And yes, we need to fear him. But not out of fear, but respect and honor. Live close to him. And listen to the voice of the Spirit of God who wants to lead us and guide us. Now to the brook. And for some of us, to the brook of Kerith. But to the others, us, us to the brook of, that's running down here. It's not all the same. Not everybody was called to go to Holland. We were. God usually leads us step by step. He doesn't give us whole plan. But as we take the first step and stay at the brook, then he'll say, now's the next step, the next step. Sometimes God gives us three steps. But generally, my experience is he leads us step by step by step. So we walk in step with our Lord. Trust God as you obey him and step out in faith. Take a step of faith. I don't see it, Lord. I don't know how, but I'm trusting you. I'm stepping out in faith based on what you've said, first of all, in your word. But personally, to me. And no matter how bitter our trial or how hopeless our situation may be, we need to trust in his caring touch. And if we obey him and rely on him, we will find his provision. And it will sometimes come from the ravens, sometimes from a friend, sometimes from an inheritance of some uncle or aunt didn't even know about. I'm still hoping for one of those. Remember that God is faithful. He remains faithful. He is a good, good father. And he will always provide where he leads us to go. And it's not always that it happens at the right moment in our eyes. But if we look back, we can say he was faithful. Look how he provided. He is faithful. And he will always be faithful. So don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on going. Keep on asking others to help you. Pray with you. When the knees of feeble say, I'm feeling the pressure, won't you just pray with me? Won't you help me? Won't you be alert and help me? I'm so concerned about things that I'm not seeing possible pitfalls. Help me. Ask your life group leaders about Hobab. I shared on Thursday night. We need Hobabs in our lives on this journey in following Jesus. My question is, where has God told you to go? Where has God told you to stay? Maybe you have gone to the brook, Kereth, but you've been there for three days and now you want to move on, and he's saying, stay. Where has God told you to go? Where is he telling you to stay? Open your heart to him. Ask him. Say, Lord, I want my life to be dedicated to you. And I'm not saying that he's going to send you to a brook. I'm not saying that he's going to call you to Holland or to Timbuktu or wherever. But we need to live with that attitude. Lord, I want to be, I want to do, I want to go what you want me to be, where you want me to go. And then my last question is, are you available for God to use you as a brook, as a raven, or as a poor widow, with no means but to be a blessing to the Elijahs? Whom God wants to send across your path, are you available? And you may say, "Yes, I am available." Then I want to ask, "Are you ready?" Because we need to prepare ourselves for the moment that God says, "You're a poor widow, but there's an Elijah I'm bringing across your path." Are you ready? Have you learned to step out in faith? in the little opportunities that God gives us to grow in. And so, you come from this area, Pinetown, Kloof. I don't know all the places here. We just say Kloof, but you say Kloof. <laughs> but God wants to take care of you, look after you, bless you. He also wants to use you. And so I challenge you this morning, I encourage you this morning, as an individual but as a church, and it's wonderful to hear the things that you're doing, and how you've made your building and your property available for the park run. I find it very interesting, and I think it's little ways in which you're letting the community know there is a group of people who loves God, looking for opportunities to Connect and show who God is, the God of wonders, the God of cares and loves us. So may I pray? I thought of just praying for those whose brook is dried up. So perhaps you're uh, at the brook that is dried up. You've been there for a while and it seems like it's come to an end. You are dry. You don't know why. Lord, I've been so faithful. I've done what you've told me to do, but the blessing seems to have just stopped. Perhaps you feel free to stand or otherwise, just where you're sitting, to reach out and say, Lord, that's me. I want to pray for you. And Father for those who identify with that the stream of life seems to have run out. There is no water in their well. There's no specific reason they can find why it has happened. But it's a time of drought and famine in their personal life. It may be in their relationship with you. It may be in their marriage. Whatever it is I pray that you will reach out your restoring hand. First of all, I ask you, let them know that you see them. You are the God who sees, you are the God who hears. Maybe they feel that their prayers are just hitting a concrete ceiling. Won't you just touch them this morning? Holy Spirit, won't you minister? Won't you let them hear the next instruction? Maybe they've found so comfortable being at the brook and haven't wanted to leave and that could be the reason there's so many reasons but Lord the important thing is that you touch their hearts and their lives this morning that there's hope again that their hope may be a living hope Jesus who rose from the dead there may be those who are poor widows they're thinking I just have a little bit left and then I will die, we will die won't you touch them won't you show them who you are won't you bring an Elijah into their lives won't you raise that which has died that they may say now I know that God is true and he loves me and he cares for me. I pray for those who are an Elijah, who do not understand the instructions and find it difficult to obey, but that you will give grace. I pray for marriages. I pray for those who are single, who crying out for you to you maybe daily. Oh God, please give me. Please show me. Please lead me. You're a faithful God. You're a good God. You're a good Father. You gave your life, Lord Jesus, not so that we can enjoy all these goodness. No, to bring us into a relationship with you wherein in that relationship you want to bless us so that we will be a blessing to others and to the world. And so I thank you. I thank you for the ravens whom you've used in my life, in our life as a couple, as a family. I thank you for the brooks you've used. I thank you for the widows you've used. I thank you for the sons you've raised from the dead. I've never experienced literally, but figuratively. Thank you, O God. Thank you, O God. Won't you just... Holy Spirit, move among us. Touch our hearts. Touch the hearts of those who find it difficult even to say, Oh Lord, the burden is heavy. Just come upon them and minister, Oh God. Healing, refreshing. Restore the joy. The joy of knowing Jesus joy of being able to follow Jesus and walk being led by the Spirit of God thank you that you are a gracious God thank you Lord for the privilege of knowing you and if there is someone Lord who does not know you who cannot say God is my Father Jesus is my Savior I pray that that person this morning may know Jesus came to die for him, for her. To break him or her free from the bondage of sin and death and slavery. To forgive, to restore, to heal, and to give eternal life, abundant life, and the joy of the Lord. Thank you, Lord.